Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 welcome to Talking Joe. Uh, today we're doing something slightly different to our normal type of deep dive episodes talking about specific issue. Today we will be talking about uh, the future comic plans and what we would like to see from whatever that new publisher has got up their sleeves. So I'll be joined by some special guests to have a little bit of discussion about what we think and hope for the future. And of course, I won't be doing it alone. I will be joined, as always, by my co-host. It's Tim. Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners and viewers. We thought we would do something uh, lighter because some of our recent episodes have involved a lot of lining up of comics guest or reading and thinking and researching. And if if we're just going live and chatting with some guests who are important, but not very important. They're, they're RIPs, they're regularly important persons. Uh, we, could, we could have an episode and, uh, and ha- have, a, have a, a lighter time of it. Let's introduce those other people. So today we are joined by two people joining us. The first of those is Jason Merrill, who may you may know as the co-host of Order of Battle. Uh, here he is. Hello, Jason. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Excellent stuff. It's morning for you. It's evening for me. <laughs> You're central time, right? Yeah, so it's noon here. While you're cooking dinner. Yeah, I've just had my dinner. Bacon uh, pasta. Um, So (laughs) thanks for joining us again. And we've got a a new person to our show, uh, at least on screen and on audio, but uh, has sort of been uh, somewhat of a friend of the show for a little while. And I do have a jingle. Brian, a real there we go is there room for two real americans here (laughs) or three i'm you know i don't want to rule anyone out certainly not four hello welcome brian (laughs) how's it how's it going where are you today brian i'm uh in my real american brian studio in indiana um but i'm very happy to be joining you guys. It's an honor. Thank you. Great to have you you on. Yeah, I've been thinking about how do we bring you into our, our fold. And, and uh, it occurred to me as we're doing this that you'd be a great person to be talking about the future of G.I. Joe comics. And uh, we're live today. So we'll have other people who will be, you know, welcome to chime in in the comments. I think we've got one of your uh, friends in the comments already. Johnny P. Indeed, yes. Hello, Johnny. Thanks for chiming in. Uh, we have got uh, backwards. Hello, backwards. And we have got someone who may have opinions and thoughts of the future of the G.I. Joe comics, but is probably NDA'd. Uh, Diana Davis, she's excited to see what we want. Wow. Uh, good to have you on board, too. <laughs> I missed the memo about the beard. Oh, yeah, I didn't have a shave today, but uh, 
<laughs> I think uh, I think it's I think it's safe to say that uh, the three of us have lifelike hair, and Mark is a '60s <laughs> Joe, not a late '60s '70s Joe. Uh, and Backwards says that uh, he's been uh, on the ground floor with you, Brian. He's one of your first 25 subscribers. Oh, nice. Well, thank you, Backwards. Yeah, before we get into into it, I think, Tim, you wanted to explore what's over Brian's shoulders because his room does look interesting, doesn't it? <laughs> Brian, I see some CGC-graded G.I. Joe comics sealed in Lucite. I see an Andrew Wildman cover. I see that Paul Ryan cover for SFX. I see issue one. I see 26. I think I see 26. Okay. What else? Uh, what, uh, I see 155. I see Devils Do One. Uh, what's the first one on the left? What's the fifth one? Uh, the first one is the Helix issue. Uh, the fifth one is uh, the Dead Game Virgin issue with Snake Eyes on the cover. Okay. Oh, and then is that is that white one between twenty six and the Treasury Edition? Is that the Hamas sketch cover with uh, Snake yep. Eyes' boots? Yeah, and the three on the far end are the Treasury Editions. So. Oh right, right. Okay. Um, and then behind you, in general, is this this is a mixture of uh, comics and Star Wars and Joe? Is there a certain uh, is there a certain focus or is it a little of everything? A little bit of everything, but mostly Joe. Um, I think half of the cabinets are classified um, Joe figures. Um, then a bunch of my Joe books are over here. Cool. And Jason, are you in a, are you just in your, in your lounge? I think I can see a roadblock and maybe a snow job just over your shoulder. So when I normally do video, I'm, in the other room with the bookshelf and all the toys. But right now we have the flag set up and oh. all of our sky strikers. Out. <laughs> so I I'm this. in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. So that way is the, um, is a graffitied APC, the Nomura star blazers, everybody's favorite Cobra. There's my roadblock display. And this is actually a test shot of roadblock 94. So and it's basically a big roadblock. Just <laughs> over your shoulder behind you, I, do we see two boxes of Sky Strikers? And, and yes. a cat. Mm -hmm. A small black cat. <laughs> oh, yep. I have one in my lap and one asleep behind okay. me. It's funny because with, with you know, the way that your camera is, the Sky Striker looks, the box looks so small. Yeah, but we, had, we, had, we got two of the HasLab Sky Strikers. I would have loved to have ordered five, but you know, two was what the wallet could afford at the time. We Cobra stickered one uh -huh. of them, which I thought was silly when they announced it, but in hand, it's a lot of fun and the stickers are fantastic. So even though a year ago I was like, oh, that's dumb. Today I was like, hell yeah, no Joe <laughs> right on the side of the Sky Striker, which happens to me a lot. There's a lot of GI Joe that as an adult, I went, that's kind of dumb. And then I got it in hand. And I went, I love it with all my heart. <laughs> so <laughs> we have uh, 13 Sky Strikers in the air today. Well, A does. There's, and there's, there's only so many that can fit on the flag. I, I, I sort of hesitate to wonder how they actually take off. But um, that's, that's the guy. That's a problem for the, you, you know, logistics boffins, isn't it? It's uh... <laughs> the 11-year-old the and the air boss. Yeah. <laughs> My brother's childhood Sky Striker is down the hallway in the other room when uh, the, the last three moves in the last 20 years, uh, it's the toy that, because it's sort of big, 
didn't always easily go into storage, you know, it's sort of, it's like, well, that can just go on top of that box. And then all of a sudden it's on my wife's dresser. All of a sudden it's been on her dresser for six months. They make some nice acrylic displays that it can either be banked or, you know, in vertical lift. So we use those, we use the vertical lift because they are so large and we don't want to hang them because we want to play with them. So the vertical lift stands allow us to line up like nine or 10 of them on top of a bookshelf without being too intrusive to the rest of the house. Oh, let's, uh, let's get into talking about comics. Comic talk. Oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them. Tim and Mark discuss them. Whoa. Comic talk. Oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them. Tim and Mark discuss them. Whoa. Uh, so, so we are gathered here today to sort of ask some questions uh, about uh, the future of the the comics, and I've sort of divided this into Larry's world, the the ARAR book, uh, three hundred one and beyond, and what what else might be going on. So, this is the question that I asked over on Facebook: What would you like from the Larry Hammer written book, the three hundred and one and beyond? And so, as it's on the screen, screen, let's let's continue with what my initial thoughts were. Let's take a break from some of the overused concepts, brainwave scanner and blue ninjas. And I say that <laughs> and in and in the next breath I'm but like, but also there's so much there. Like um you know, th- there's the brainwave scanner and the blue ninjas, there's been an awful lot of them in the recent books. But uh, and so I think, you know, we could do with a break from them. I think there's an appetite for a break, but at the same time it's like there's that Cobra Casino concept and everyone going in there and the the idea that maybe some of these guests might be brainwashed. And then there's like the, the with the Blue Ninjas, it would seem a shame that after after such a long period of them being so key to the ongoing plot that that just disappeared and that plot kind of wasn't sort of resolved a little bit more neatly than than just let's stop using them. What What do you guys think about those two specific plot points uh the brainwave scanner and the blue ninjas brian why don't we start with you yeah so i I agree with you i think it's time for a break but i don't want either of those things to be forgotten either like let's let's keep them on the back burner but let's let's breathe a little bit and take a little break from these overused concepts but we'll come back to them i don't want them to be forgotten forever yeah jason well we have to have the brainwave scanner to catch new snake eyes back up <laughs> to what he missed and to clear the cobwebs out of both Sean and Dawn. But, you know, once, once the rhyming twins and snake eyes are back to full speed, they could mothball that for a little while. I've never really been a big fan of the blue ninjas. Um, it makes the comic feel a little bit more like the early nineties when it was kind of in its worst period. So, he could never show them again and I wouldn't miss them. It'd be fun to see him come up with another third entity or third party or, or change the way he's using them. But the blue ninjas could, they could dirt nap for all I care. It's the weakest part of the Larry's run for me. This is what I've been thinking about with the blue ninjas using them in a different way. Uh, I feel like the note that Hama has been hitting with them has been a similar note the whole time, you know, like the humans are all meat puppets. And what was starting in the two nineties 
was the Blue Ninjas now saw Cobra as some kind of enemy or entity to be infiltrated. And I don't remember really what happens in artificial intelligence. I know that Destro and the Baroness are fighting some Blue Ninjas, but I feel like the Blue Ninjas plan has been a little nebulous. And if they were to specifically go after like Cobra Commander or specifically go after Broca Beach or Cobra Island, the problem with me saying that is that that's not the way that's not really the way that Hama writes. He doesn't come with he doesn't come up with plot point first. He's sort of thinking about what the characters would do. A comment that I made to Mark several ep- episodes ago when we were talking about some of these final issues was that there's been this sort of um, like deflation or stakes creep of the Blue Ninjas, where when we first met them, they were so hard to destroy. And then the Joes figured out, like, we'll just shoot them in the head. And now when the Joes fight them, they seem easily dispatched because maybe you don't need like four pages each time of the Joes saying, oh man, this ninja robot is so hard to stop. But it's like, you've got this sort of two toughest things in all of G.I. Joe, a ninja and a robot. So if they're going to stick around, I'm not actually rooting for every time they show up, it being half an issue to take even one out and some Joes get injured. But if they're going to show up, I do want them handled in a different way. But I do feel like just for even if 301 is kind of one, I do want them to show up somehow in the first, you know, 10 issues. Well, I would like them too to hear more about the fighting style with Helix's mom and stuff that I felt like that was a story thread that was started and then just kind of like forgotten about and we moved on past it. That's that's my dilemma that, that you know, there are, are those little interesting things that that were introduced that it would would be nice to follow up like the helix connection with her mom's fighting style and so so that's for me is kind of where it's a shame that that you know if we wouldn't be see them again it would be good to touch on those potentially more interesting bits just the bit where blue the blue ninjas decide alpha 001 or whoever decides okay this week we're going to attack destro this week we're going to attack the joes again or this week we're going to attack Cobra. Or this week the GI Joe team is going to attack our factory again. You know, it's 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 that element of of it feeling like it's not really advancing, and also as you know, it feels a little bit like they're just being used to some degree as cannon fodder, just something that um, the Joes can can easily fight with, dispatch, destroy. You know, with as you say, a diminishing sense of jeopardy. Also, they're sort of like Cobra bats in that there are an infinite number of them. And what's interesting to me is Alpha 001 as a character and some concern that Alpha 001 could run out of supplies or blue ninjas. Because if there are like 75 million of them, then they're always going to be a problem. If there was, and again, this is an artificial sort of plot layer but if if the factory blew up and there were only 13 left or 26 left or three left, then it's more like uh, slice and dice as opposed to all of the night creepers. And then the Joes could speak differently or Alpha 001 could speak differently about, uh, well, I only have this many left, so I'm going to use them for this mission. Or, okay, Joes, we intelligence says that there's only 17 blue ninjas left, so... 
now 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 the sort of the reader has sort of a countdown, even if Hama's not going to go very far with that. But as long as there are an infinite number, it becomes nebulous and there isn't it's not like boxed in at all. And I want it to be boxed in a little bit. That's a good pull. Let's let's move on, I guess, to the next uh, the next point that I had. Uh, before we do that, sort of an important uh, news brief briefing here from French Toast Chopsticks Manga. Uh, a real American Brian is so handsome. Thanks for that update. We're all having problems with that. <laughs> being too handsome? It's well, no, with him being too handsome. Brian is too handsome. It's... Yeah, hard to keep. Uh, every you know focused um so the next next one was use more characters than we that we don't see in the book so much there are more cobra characters than just mindbender we could see someone like gristle or tombstone one of these characters uh, that hasn't you know has been introduced as a toy but hasn't really been used as a um as a comic character or you know bring bring back another of the 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 big uh, characters like you know tomax and zamot who who have been used before, but but not uh, not a great deal. This IDW ARA arc is very much on the Cobra side, the uh, the Mindbender and Cobra Commander show in in terms of the the Cobra lead leadership. So it would be good to see just a bit more variety of of characters that that we used. Um, I have joked before that it would be nice to to just uh, have a little turn that shows Mindbender was was never was never resurrected as a clone it's it's just uh, a phantom of uh, cobra commander's imagination you know a bit like a uh, tyler durden carrot figure in his uh, that he, he's brought to life in his mind what do you make of that tim seeing as how i've i've stolen your idea about gristle and tombstone um no thank you i i really want to see scrap iron and in general, Copperhead and Major Blood and, you know, et cetera. Mindbender has become sort of too many things for Cobra Commander. And my my creative partner many years ago said to me, do you know why Bane is in Batman and Robin, the Joel Schumacher film from 1997? Uh, and I said, oh, well, the cell toys. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But narratively, he's there. So Poison Ivy isn't talking to herself. Like he's, you know, it's like Watson for Sherlock Holmes, he, you know, so that Wat so Holmes can explain it to a character on screen and explain it to the audience. And Mindbender is such an amazing character and clearly Hama has affection for him, but he's both sort of Cobra Commander's uh, like sounding board and conscience and not quite second in command, but he's there all the time. And he's, a, he's his inventor and he's his interrogator and one of the things that I love so much about G.I. Joe happens in the first issue I ever read, issue 90, where Destro has this flowchart and he's dividing up how Cobra is going to work with Broca Beach and, you know, Zorana and, you know, Fred in the battle armor and uh, Voltar and they're bickering. And we have lost some of the power struggle or some of the, the tears of power and Scrap Iron's dossier, that line about him wanting to blow up the world, is such a funny Larry Hama-ism from, you know, 1984 or 85, that he's never been in the comic very much anyway. And this seems like a character that if someone could remind Hama, like, no, this guy is great. You can do a lot with this. So selfishly, I'm picking that guy because I've always loved his costume and his accessories. But, you know, with someone like, Tombstone, I, I don't remember quite 
when Hama was or wasn't writing some of the file cards in the 2000 teens. So I'm not sure if Hama sort of knows about Tombstone or feels any connection to him. And there are some later figures in the original Real, Real American Hero run where Hama's not writing the dossiers because he like quit and they didn't have him back yet, or they were bringing some of that work in house. And sometimes you can tell when you read it, it just like feels sort of super heroic and not nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So I'd have to think about Gristle. So maybe Hama doesn't know about Gristle, doesn't care about Gristle, but absolutely more than just Mindbender. Yeah, I popped up on the the screen there, screen there uh, message uh, on the Facebook uh, group replying to my original question from uh, Stephen Miller, who I think it's fair to say is a Scrap Iron fan. We'll be glad to hear that he's being made into a classified figure. And uh, yeah, so his his uh, request was definitely more Scrap Iron. And um, you know, as people that have read uh, the original Battle Action Force comics, um, one of the one of the highlights of those books was that they would have these solo stories. Uh, where they focus, uh, you know, have a solo adventure with some of these secondary characters, often, you know, having an origin story for them. And uh, yeah, so there was a uh, code name, the Scrapyard um, story featuring uh, Scrap Iron doing what he does best. Brian, what do you think about uh, Mindbender and Gristle and Tombstone and Scrap Iron and other characters? <laughs> well, one of the things that I think would be a really cool concept going forward is kind of building off of those a little bit. Um, I'd like to see a splintering of the evil forces that Joe's fighting. So have um, Serpentor Khan lead his army and then have uh, Cobra Commander's army and maybe bring uh, Al Cabra and have him leading a force and Destro. So that way the uh, Joes are spread out more too. You could bring the Red Shadows back, you do all kinds of things. And then um, you have Joe forces that are, you know, have threats all over the place rather than having this huge roster focused on you know, Cobra Island or the Cobra Casino, like with all the Joes you have and the forces you have, you should be able to take that out pretty easily. But if you're spread thin across the globe, then now there becomes some real danger and intrigue. It was, um, yeah, it was a really exciting plot point of the uh, murder by assassination was the introduction of, you know, some new characters to the Cobra cast, uh, new and different. So so the introduction of Alco Cobra is kind of a real threat and and this uh overkill as a, a new kind of mysterious secondary character it was uh yeah really fun to to see uh jason what your what are your thoughts about that one so my first thought was scrap iron which tim <laughs> eloquently went long on and i love it we used to army build scrap iron because there was scrap iron and then we had the iron guard which were all the other scrap irons that followed scrap iron but in that realm of mindbender now, Scrap Iron, on his file card, he is he's a weapons inventor. He works for Destro. Um, so he's a nice go-between between the two organizations. He builds things. Then you have Hotwire, who's never been in the comic. I don't know if Larry's aware of him, but he was a club convention scientist guy. So he would be a great... You start to build out that science division. We have the tech, the Techno Viper that's been very big at the end of the comic. Jeffrey. Yeah, Jeffrey. Take off the helmet make him a real person or her a real person. And you start to build that whole side of it and then take them out of leadership. I miss, you know, you mentioned the issue 90, Tim, with the flow chart and all the infighting. And then you go all the way back to pre 20 and, you know, them sitting around the table, each of them having their own 
thoughts against each other while voicing their 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 united front and and I do miss that there's a there's plenty of ways bringing in tombstone or whoever to bring up a natural um, cobra hierarchy even when you think about uh, the crimson guard who just defected they don't all have to defect and then you know having having major blood not part of leadership but what he's supposed to be is a hired gun having him come in and out working for different factions you know everything brian said i love it because as you start to break that down i want more special missions than i want the same 15 joes on the same c-130 flying over the same island yeah that that issue with um uh, major blood on the front cover where he's you know a, a, no about to draw um his, his pistol with um lady jade sort of knelt down in front of him those, those couple of issues i thought was a great change of pace it was like a really exciting action story and also just you know stepping away from some of those the blue ninjas and the and the, and the brainwave scanner and featuring this you know really dastardly character of, of blood in in such a such a cool way uh i thought those those are probably two of my favorite they'd definitely be in my t- top 10 of uh of the idw run yeah i wouldn't also mind just seeing a stronger cobra commander cobra commander is always at his best when he's the demagogue leading the you know disenfranchised masses and willing to you know kill his own son and and kick a puppy and not that i want to see him kick puppies again it's an awful awful uh thing in the comic but that version of cobra commander having him be kind of punked by serpentor or by fred or whomever was always the weakest of the commanders and although we all love chris lotta's voice he's the weakest of the commanders i want a strong commander I think that's a it's a really really good thought as as well and and I know that a friend of the show Steve Jubber has got strong feelings on on this one as as well that sort of menacing ruthless real threat character that that Cobra Commander can pose when he's at at his best and and we've seen a little bit less of that of a little bit you know slightly more chaotic and on the back foot and and not not really ever progressing anywhere with his grand schemes and. Asking old people in the casino why they're not gambling more. Yeah. Asking if they've that's, tried the you know, dip. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 fun. That's silly. But silly's for the cartoon. Silly is is for the comic too, but yeah. the teeth of the comic is what gives the silliness its breadth and its leeway, where it's the vice versa in the cartoon. Let's definitely do something that sort of really brings back the edge. We've used the example from the IDW books where he puts in a couple of uh I think they're like city officials in the back of a car and sort of shoots them through the the hood. Uh, or, is it called hood? Anyway, the yeah. Anyway, through the. It still needs to be for kids. Like, I'm I'm not saying it needs to be for us as we walk into our fifties because it's a bit myopic. But you know, we all remember GI Joe being a little bit above us, right? And and now it's good. It's by default it's going to be below us. We're you know, in our forties and fifties and such, but having it be a comic book for kids, but a little elevated was what made GI Joe special. And it doesn't have to be just for me today. It needs to be for that same. It's serious with a, with a hint of funny. It gets the the middle schooler or the teenager hot blooded instead of, you know, 
why aren't you gambling more? (laughs) (laughs) There's a scale, you know, in terms of like, Mm -hmm. you know, top level menace versus just silliness. And we just want to dial back the buffoonery a tiny bit. I I do want to defend that scene in the casino because I think heading towards issue 300 being a final issue or not being a final issue is an unusual scenario for a writer to be in. And I think Hama may have been in showing the commander that relaxed and comfortable and sort of light. I think what whatever did happen next or now will happen next is the teeth, is the contrast. And so that scene in and of itself, I don't have a problem with. It's going to be great. What, what I also mean is that I think Hama is writing this character as, you know, he thinks he's untouchable and sort of narratively, we always want Cobra Commander to like walk around and be cruel and be evil, but no, he feels incredibly safe on his island and like he, like it's a Ponzi scheme, Cobra's a Ponzi scheme, right? So uh, like, yes, you get people into this casino and you take their money and maybe you also brainwash them. So but yes, I'm ready for a sort of the, the the contrast where like now he's you know going to attack the Joes or going to, uh, you know we, we saw that a little bit in 300 or 299 with taking the people hostage and putting them on the the sort of the porch so that the Joes could see them, but that was not sort of the like most dramatic beat of that issue, so it 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 doesn't stand out as much. But had that been staged differently, had the issue been more about that we might be having a different discussion now like oh man cover commander took all those gamblers and vacationers out into the porch but yes and i think i think there was some power struggle on that side of things where you know you know splinter con or whatever is trying to take cobra away from cobra commander then i think you have that option of making him more evil and darker and as he responds to that trying to hold on to what he has However, does that lead right back to Cobra Island, uh, the Cobra Civil War? I mean, we don't want to just jump right back into that, right? Diana Davis says, remember, the commander comes from a sales business background. He knows how to be lethal behind the scenes and schmooze to get them to do what he wants. I think that scene would have landed better for me if it hadn't been followed up with Serpentor just knocking him around like a child. Because I, that's what, what Diana just said is what I just referenced as well. It's the thing that I love about Cobra Commander is he came, he's a demagogue. He came from that disenfranchised, you know, ultimate victim mentality and weaponized it. And then, you know, weaponized everyone else that felt like him, mm. but didn't have the charisma to follow. And that is, it's, I love that Cobra Commander. As a child, I was blown away by that whole idea um and no matter what version of gi joe has been written in and outside of sunbow and larry that is the version of cover commander that has always stuck with me yeah i I think the the point about um the sort of the one two beat of of that cobra commander sort of schmoozing with the guests is an interesting an interesting one because um, you know, he's not he's not schmoozing with the guests because he genuinely wants them to be happy and having a fun time in his casino, really. It's because, uh, you know, he's he's the snake trying to, you know, uh, charm them so that he can get them in and uh, exploit them and, uh, you know, follow up with his grand scheme. The um, 
whatever it was the the brainwashing laundry project that uh, that we never got to we haven't yet found out uh, about the the details of um so so yeah it's yeah if 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 we had seen the kind of the bite you know the menace behind uh, the behind that element then then uh, then it would, i think probably would have probably landed slightly differently to to him instead of it the follow up being okay and now he's got beaten up by serpent by serpentel khan should we go back to the questions, Mark? Yeah, I was just looking at the comments of just come in. Shane just sort of noted that around uh, characters and specialities and what that means for storytelling, I guess. Characters have lots of specialities. Scrap Iron as the weapons designer. Zap used to co-pilot. Snowjob as a sniper. Lots of potential for characters to do different things. Yeah, I mean, just sort of looking back at some of those characters and thinking what it might suggest for scenarios that would play out in the stories uh, is quite yeah it's quite interesting lots of lots of opportunity there josh had a very specific question about the future of the comics which was any ideas on the last idw trade paperback release which is likely the end of idw runs uh, likely uh, and likely when the announcement of the next publisher happens so uh, when we spoke to Hasbro's Michael Kelly. He's, he, you know, he reminded us that the uh, license to the the back matter will pass along to the new publisher, and so uh, I'm sure they will be very conscious that there is this uh, hole in the the reprints of the the trade paperbacks because the last volume is I think it takes up to is it two eight five or something like that. So there's a gap of of about fifteen issues in terms of the the reprints so i would think that uh that shortly after we find out who the publisher is and they start getting going that probably within a few months uh they'll they'll try and do that that tpb to to fill in the gaps tim i know a comic book store in massachusetts that has the final 15 issues for cover price <laughs> It's interesting. I saw, I saw, uh, I saw in the comments relating to to this on a, on another board that someone said that they uh, they just don't read floppies that and they so they've not read these final issues. They they will wait for the tape, trade paperback whenever that that happens. I think it's possible that the new publisher will not in the first six months issue a collection of the final IDW issues because they would just want to focus on their material. So if they do a new series and a second new series and maybe like a mini series six months in, then six months in, 12 months in, that's two or three collections of their new material. And, you, you know, they're making a big splash with their new stuff. And to say, oh, also the final 15 issues, you know, it's like, you know, the first thing that Marvel did when it got the Star Wars license after it ended at Dark Horse was make its own stuff and reprint its own new stuff and then announce reprinting its own old stuff from the 70s and 80s. And then they got to the Dark Horse stuff. The I think the counterpoint to that is just in terms of this final volume. And I think, you know, I I, I agree about most of the other ID, IDW stuff. Reprinting that is not going to be a priority. But because this last volume has never been reprinted, and because mm. one of their first issues will be 301, which picks up from a cliffhanger of 300. Which we assume picks up. We assume. We've been told. I mean, I, I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've always been stunned by the first page of issue 97, which is a couple of Joes hiding behind a car getting shot. And it does not pick up after 96. It doesn't pick up after some Joes 
uh, do damage to basically the Cobra embassy in New York City. And there's, you know, like sometimes Hama just jumps ahead and starts another mission. Um, we'll, we'll, kind of when he's at his best, honestly. Uh, yes, I, I, uh, I, it, this is a Hamaism that I love where uh, there is a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is this is sort of the anti-Bendis, right? Like I read a, a Brian Michael and I like I like Brian Michael Bendis comics, but his stuff is uh, very moment to moment and there's a cliffhanger. And then I read the next issue and the next issue of Avengers or Spider-Man or something tends to be the next moment. And Hama will sometimes jump ahead an hour, a day, a week, or we're just on the C-130 somewhere else. It's like, oh, I guess Chuckles is investigating the Hindu Kush and I'm going to have to wait to know what happened to, you know, Roadblock in that car or whatever. <laughs> there was a question prompted by one of your comments. Jim Smith needs the name of that comic book store and I can do better than just giving the name. <laughs> I, I can play something. Pub Comics! The local comic store. Pub Comics! In Boston to explore. Pub Comics! Your local comic store. Pub Comics! Comics and much more. Hub Comics in Somerville near Boston. Check out hubcomics.com for details. Uh, that's nice. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's a destination more than it's a shop. <laughs> we do have a lot of issues at Jam. Um, should we go to the next question? Which uh, I think yes. we were bridging to. Let's, anyway. let's do it. So the next one, uh, oh, the next the next point was, uh, can we have some return of classic G.I. Joe artists? Vosberg, Wiggum, Wagner. Uh, maybe we could have a flashback story set during their era of G.I. Joe. We could have a, a story from uh, set during the issue 30s or 40s or 50s from uh, uh, Wiggum. Could have something, uh, you know, during the middle of the Civil War from uh wagner we could have something back in the green uniform days from vosberg what do you think uh what do you think about that idea brian you go first i think it's a fantastic idea i'd be very excited to see some i mean uh, so many of those artists we haven't seen do any joe for so long that it'd be just i don't know it'd be a nostalgia trip and a nostalgia property and i think that'd be a phenomenal idea i'd be very excited about it i don't know how likely it is but <laughs> Jason, chime in. I would, I would love to see it. Um, I would love to see uh, Michael Golden come back and some others. Uh, at the same time, I, I would love to see them pull in whoever the hot artists that people are following today. Not because I don't love our old guys, but I want new eyes on Joe, and I don't, and I don't know how much Fosberg or golden is going to pull in the new audience but it's certainly i would backflip it would look bad and i'd probably break my neck but i would try to backflip if some of these older folks would do it diana davis says i would be surprised if vosberg agreed to do it i asked him if he wanted to do a cover for saturday morning adventures and he wasn't really into it i think vosberg is there are artists who have worked on gi joe gi joe does not pay royalties so when IDW reprinted Marvel issues, the artists who drew those issues and the guy who wrote them don't get paid again. If you draw a Spider-Man story in 1983 or 2009, and then a year or five later, Marvel reprints it, you get five or 10 or 20 bucks per page. And 
the artists who have drawn many, many, many issues at Marvel, that becomes a small but but nice revenue stream. Because if you've done popular books that stay in print, you know, if you did like a year on X-Men and they always go back to that year, you get quarterly checks. And at IDW, G.I. Joe did not pay those kinds of royalties. And similarly for the artists who were drawing new issues at IDW, when six months later there was a collection, they did not get a, a royalty. And a new publisher could make a different agreement. Some of the dollars and cents of it may argue against that if a new publisher is paying a lot of money to have the license from Hasbro and is like giving Hasbro a cut of all of its uh, profits in the way that if a publisher has something homegrown that they own, they're not also sending some money, money over to a toy company. In terms of returning artists to G.I. Joe, I would love to see it. I don't want to necessarily, okay, um, I'm of two minds because if there's a story set during like Rod Wiggum's run, I'd love it if Wiggum drew that. But I also don't like the standard that that sets where like, this happens a lot at Marvel where there's a flashback to the 60s and uh, Marvel has an artist draw it kind of like Jack Kirby or the artist just does it because they want to. And that's really fun. And that's a good visual cue for us. Like, oh, okay, this is taking place during the 60s and with these older comics. But it starts to suggest that a story that takes place in the past can only be drawn with an old school style or that a flashback needs to be drawn in a different style from the contemporary story. And if you extend that forward, it starts to pigeonhole artists. So if you had a run of G.I. Joe right now and a younger artist who draws in a very modern style was drawing it and you had a flashback, like there might be a small cue, like the colorist does it in sepia tones or black and white or a limited palette, or maybe the artist like draws it with a little less detail or inks it a little differently. Like that's fun. Like we have flashbacks in movies with sort of a different soundscaping or sepia tones or black and white. But when it when it becomes sort of the whole visual style, it then starts to argue that like, oh, you, you couldn't have Rod Wiggum draw a new story for G.I. Joe, a contemporary story, because his art is for like the older stuff. And even though I would like to see that, I don't want an artist to get uh, pigeonholed. And I want Marvel to be able, for example, Marvel to be able to tell a story that takes place, you know, like five minutes after like Spider-Man gets his powers. And, and I want them to, if they want to hire the like hot new artist who draws in a modern style to draw that story that way. So I'd, I'd like to keep it more open where if a returning artist to G.I. Joe is interested in drawing a G.I. Joe story, then the discussion is more like, well, what is the story that they want to do for G.I. Joe or with Larry, as opposed to like, well, where can we put them that um, makes sense? And I think it might be disappointing to admit that some of the returning artists, though they would that would mean a lot to longtime fans, it might not move the needle in a catalog for new readers and like store owners who are ordering that. You know, it's like right now, Four days from now, an issue of X-Men Legends is coming out, written and drawn by Wills Portacio, part two of a story that takes place right before Uncanny X-Men 282, his second issue of X-Men from 1991 when Bishop first appears. And it's like what Bishop did right before that issue. And I thought when this was announced, cool. And I read the first issue, it was okay. <laughs> and it's like, he should be able to draw like current issues of X-Men and like the whole point of that X-Men comic, X-Men Legends, is it's like these are stories that like fill in some gaps or it takes place in the past. So 
I think the I think the difference for for maybe why you might do that with Wiggum and why you might do it with with uh, Portasio as well is that if it's less connected to the current you know chronology current issues and it's just one issue then maybe that's an easier commitment and it's also a smaller deadline pressure as well just get this thing done we can drop it in yes thank you as a separate point that i was going to forget to make if it was <laughs> a a series like gi joe spotlight or gi joe origins or gi joe secret missions and it's one or two issues at a time or an annual or a yearbook totally and what I re- what I actually really want, I want Hama to write more than one monthly. I, w- I want more than 20 or 22 pages a month, whether that's double-sized issues, bi-weekly shipping, a second series, uh, a like rotating, a revolving series of mini-series that in effect is a monthly series or many, many specials. There are so many characters that it's it's hard to tell a lot of story and sort of satisfy many fans because it's like, well, within a couple issues, I can include these nine characters and someone out there is like, well, what about Scrap Iron, right? Or like, what about, you know, like, like Frostbite? We haven't seen Frostbite in a while. So since there is this nostalgia and we're coming out of the anniversary and I feel like the G.I. Joe declassified miniseries, the three issues from Devil's Do, like that never fully satisfied me. What I actually want specifically is some like G.I. Joe 1980 or 81 or 82 miniseries, whether you call it that or not. Whoever draws it, I, I would like a story, a miniseries that can be a bigger book that you could give someone that's like early G.I. Joe or right before issue one. Because in the same way that Hama's uh, self-contained issues in the last five issues have been like free of like continuity and the ongoing story. And you could give one of those issues to anyone who's read, hasn't read G.I. Joe in a while. So to, to Mark's like specific idea, like maybe it takes place during the Cobra civil war. Like maybe it takes place. Um, I feel like in the first year or before the first year is, is particularly ripe both for storytelling and for readers. I think you could have, um, the classic artists come back and have new artists at the same time. Cause we're not just going to have one title here the, you know, the new publisher is going to have multiple titles. So we could have a book that has, you know, that retro feel for the older crowd that's getting into it. And then we could have the new hotter artist on another title, trying to bring new readers into the property as well. I, surely though, um, do you guys think it's likely that there will be a Hama book that continues real American hero and another book that starts a different kind of G.I. Joe that's like G.I. Joe that's starting for the first time in 2023 or like the Paul Elore world on fire continuity. Do you think there is going to be something different that's not Hama? I truly hope so. Yeah, I mean, Michael Kelly said as much that there there will be, you know, there'll be at least two books, that there'll be the, the Hammerverse continuing and there'll be something else for, for, you know, that will be doing something else. And without too much clues as to to what that something else could could be and yeah my speculation could be was you know one question would be would you want it to be absolutely something else completely different or would you want it somehow to be running alongside hammer not causing him too much problems in terms of um keeping everything consistent but you know happening at the same time just like you know larry hammer might be writing a batman book and then you've got another writer writing another batman book all set in within 
the same universe, uh, which is something that did happen. And uh, yeah, so would you want that? And I guess there's precedent in terms of like the Helix backstory, for example, that that, that was written by somebody else in the ARA universe. Would you would you want it to be entirely separate, or would you want it to potentially run along parallel to the ARA universe? Because I guess for me, having it completely separate, you know, it might mean that they can do you know their own thing, and it might be very bold and exciting, but maybe to some degree it might sort of matter less because the ARA is the real GI Joe universe. Yeah, I mean, I would love to have that was actually one of my on my wish list for the new publisher i would like to have something else that's in the a raw universe but maybe not necessarily written by larry um but in that because then you could spread out and have a bigger roster so you could have these characters are in larry's book these characters are in the other book but it's all happening in the same universe and the same continuity and then you get to see those characters you don't get too too often jason yeah <laughs> So Diana Davis, right as I was about to talk, it, it hits us with the perfect one. It's hard for another writer to write in Hama's Joe-verse since the way Larry writes. It's hard not to accidentally contradict events or go off canon. And kind of what she's saying and, and what Brian's saying, it would be nice to have another writer come into Larry's universe, not to be too morbid, but due to Larry's age and... Larry's the boss and he's writing, you know, something off panel that Larry is approving, agreeing to, uh, pitching to him something or her, some, some writer that can come in and sit down with Larry and not take over, but add flavor, add color commentary. And, you know, when the day that we all get to happens is, you know, already well and meaty invested. But I do agree that non-Larry Joe it has less importance, is less uh, whatever, but I love it. <laughs> I loved how I loved how much anger Aubrey Citizen's G.I. Joe caused because that's headlines. We need headlines. We don't have the viewership or we don't have the readership that that like say Batman does where you can have two congruent writers still in the same basic ass universe, whatever. So somebody like Citizen, who's going to cause controversy, somebody like Paul Allure, who's going to create this beautiful, grounded, modern, realistic, still a little bit of joy. Someone who's doing the Saturday morning stuff. That's just silly beyond silly. Uh, Sigma six, a renegade, something that pushes the envelope, maybe makes some people angry. Maybe, shows you a snake eyes or um you know or a law and order that we're not used to giving us that new little mm, right because we have lots of youtube guys that are making their own play action things not larry hama not canon completely unimportant in the in the hama verse but you watch those jubber uh one of your co-hosts is is part of that world and we watch them and we're just, we're inspired and we're, we're hungry for more, but ultimately it doesn't matter because Larry didn't write it. Right. So I want something that, that pushes beyond what we're comfortable with. I want something new and crazy, but I would love to see somebody sit down with Larry and pick up and maybe add color commentary to his universe 
and is someone that, you know, we can trust with the universe if Larry ever decides to put the pencil down. I like where Jason's going that that Hama could be something of an editor to a second Joe book with a second Joe writer, and that these two books could be in the Hama verse. But to hear one or two viewers chime in, and Jason also, like a Paul Allure well, World on Fire book, I think we run the risk of a second book that is like Hama, sort of agrees with Hama, but isn't technically him writing, that that just ends up being the spinoff where the readership of it is 60% of the main book. And that doesn't do us any good besides like me just wanting more pages of story. And what you get for a Snake Eyes Dead game for a Sierra Morite and to some extent for a, a World on Fire is attention. And um, it's funny because there are some comparisons and they don't they don't all work all the way. Like one comparison is X-Men. Uh, you have Chris Claremont writing Uncanny X-Men for a long time. He's the only person writing that book. And then he's the only person writing that book from 75 to 82 when New Mutants shows up, right? There's, there's a spinoff and uh, he's writing it at the beginning. And uh, later on, someone else takes that over. And then later on, there's another spinoff X Factor. And because there are so many characters and there's an editor or editors, like those two books, those three books agree, um, even if they have sort of a different flavor and different cast, and then they can have crossovers and make money. But what you don't have there is something like an X-Men cartoon that's sort of also grabbing the spotlight and elevating the brand. So like G.I. Joe has these two poles, or maybe these three poles. You have all the stories from Hama, you have the cartoon, which everyone just knows the cartoon, even if they haven't really watched it. And then you, of course, have the toys. And I don't know that sort of an ongoing Saturday morning adventures could sustain itself. I don't know that a year later, two years later, there's enough affection for that. Because what you ultimately want is like movement and voices and sound effects and music. And maybe those four issues were like just enough of a, like an appetizer um, for us. If we're going to get another one of those, please, five issues, five issues. I need a little more story. But I do feel like what a Rob Liefeld brings to a Snake Eyes dead game and what a uh, Michelle Fife brings to uh, Sierra Muerte, even if it's not going to be like writer-artist-auteur, even if it's going to be just like some high-profile writer-artist team, I think that might be more valuable to the brand and compete less. And I think even though Michael Kelly makes this like central point that he's like, I need to, we need to grow and evolve the brand. And I ask readers to give it a shot. He said this when World on Fire was introduced. He's, he's been saying it more recently. I think that something like Dead Game and Sierra Muerte and you know Transformers versus G.I. Joe by Shioli, because they're discreet, they like every six months, every four months, every year, they can like shake it up. And maybe you don't get all of them because you don't like one of those creatives. As much as like Paul Allure's universe like should have continued and been indefinite, you end up that's sort of not different enough. And si that that it's similar enough that someone who only wants one G.I. Joe book will skip it. And it's not 
and it's it's different enough anyway uh, <laughs> I, th- I think i think we need some i think we need some mini series that are different as much as i want hama to magically write two books or a second writer to work with him but we agree on this because that is the beauty of gi joe and when you talk about allure and and fifa and everybody else is that we have the both best of both worlds we have the big two this never ends 300 issues goes on forever like x-men or avengers and we have the independent comic this is a beautiful story why did it have to go away oh here's another beautiful story oh it's going to go away too like you know they're killing the children right it just oh it's over i didn't want it to be over i could have read Double that. Not to not to uh, swipe at low hanging fruit, but I do think as as exciting as all of the variant covers for uh, Dead Game, and the Ugh. like attention that that announcement of that miniseries got, I do think that that miniseries in terms of story and character didn't win anyone over. Um, no, that so, hurt us more than helped us. So if if we're going to do that again, uh, it needs to be a stronger narrative with stronger characterization, mm-hmm. even if the art is, you know, like a certain, um, like narrow, uh, bandwidth. In terms of a second Larry thing, just returning to the special missions format when he was doing in the eighties, special missions came out, what, once every two months until it went monthly, and then, it went monthly around issues, 17, 18. Sure. But it was what? 30 issues. It doesn't have to go monthly. It went monthly, but in terms of a new thing with Larry writing two things or someone sitting with Larry as Larry, the editor, you take that special missions approach. You can then go to Helix's backstory. You can add in Gristle. You can add in Snowstorm, who's never seen the light of comics. You can go and you can take, you can, you can have that second art, that second writer or Larry doing those characters that none of us have ever seen we all want to see maybe we don't see them because he didn't write the file cards maybe we don't see them because he didn't give a shit and he's already got his plan you know but but in everything i'm talking about with all the crazy whatever give us everything it's very much in what you're saying is that it's miniseries i don't need 300 issues of paula lore but i could have used more than 10 to 12. Yeah, I really like the idea of like mini series, like continuing mini series, and you could do. And I still think they could still be in the um, A Raw universe or the Hama verse, where you could have and focus on like some of the sub factions of GI Joe. So you could have like a Tiger Force mini series. You know, it's going to go for five or six issues, and you have some you know wild artist that's out of the normal and different writer on it, but it still kind of fits into that universe, and it could take place anywhere on the timeline too. So it's not going to cause any kind of conflict. And if you just like focus on smaller groups, I think the biggest thing, like one of the bigger complaints you always see online is that my favorite character hasn't appeared in the comic for a hundred issues because there's just so there's such a huge cast. Like, I think you just have to explore ways of getting different characters involved in other ways. So Adam S says, uh, I feel like real American hero would work better the way Eastman works on IDW Ninja Turtles. So Ninja Turtles is up to issue 137 or so, and uh, there've been a bunch of side miniseries. So if you combine those, it's almost uh, you know like 200 issues, 250 issues. And Tom Waltz wrote the first 100 issues, and Sophie Campbell's been writing since issue 101. And Bobby Kernow and Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz have been sort of editorially involved the whole time. And so 
uh, with the first hundred issues, Waltz was, I don't know to what extent, just plot or like actual scripts or having every six month story meetings, but uh, Waltz was bouncing ideas off of one of the co-creators and someone else. And that is continued after after he left, although he's come back to write this big event miniseries. And Eastman also does one or two covers every single month. They tend to be the available B covers, not the um, variant, the ratio incentives. And so if you are like me and you want one of the original guys very much involved, he is. And so I, I think that does speak to just how much goodwill and loyalty there is for Hama being involved in G.I. Joe, whether that's on this one book that he's writing, if he's also doing some sketch covers, if he's somehow involved with some with some other comics. I, I wonder about the first three months, because when IDW launched, if I'm remembering this correctly, there was the Zero issue, which had a prologue story for all three series. And then each of these very three different books launched and I think it was staggered one per month and that way they don't take each other's attention and you have some momentum over three months but three books is a lot for this brand Batman can sustain four monthly books 25 family related books it is actually that number right now half the DC line is related to Batman he gets around for an orphan so um you know whenever the new publisher comes out with 301 we're going to have, you know, a month or six, I think, before the other thing or things uh, start, and we we all have some homework to do. I don't I don't know how much my pleas in previous episodes of Talking Joe to get people to write emails to the IDW letters page to like say you're out there and to tell Hama what you want. I don't know how much that works, but in the next six months we're all going to have to nudge our friends who are lapsed readers to not just get this new issue number one because it's exciting or because of variant covers but to 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 stick with this book and give it a real shot because because the because the brand needs us i hope that diana stays involved i hope that you know they bring in new people i would love to see some new writers some new artists i'm curious back to an original to an old question is you know when they start doing reprints, are they going to go all the way back to issue one? Are they going to leave IDW's 15 trades available? You know, I'm hungry for all of it. So I'm asking as someone who would continue to buy it, even though I have multiple copies. Diana says, speaking on that, Tim, if you want the Hasbro live stream team to talk more comics, capital letters, please ask them in the stream. So I think what this- Would they even see it in the stream I, with everybody else just criticizing them? <laughs> I think what this is speaking to, uh, I don't spend a lot of time on the Hasbro stream, uh, but I imagine the, right, the, the the Hasbro live stream is very much about toys. And, and they and they have said multiple times that they they do pay attention to the comment comments they go back and read them etc so you know I think it's so then we send them as much love as we yeah. can all right so two kinds of homework everyone <laughs> uh, you have to nudge your friends to buy the new series and not just show up for the first month and a bunch of variants at hub comics no no <laughs> at many comic book stores please go to your local comic book store and also to communicate with Hasbro in this very easy way that we can 
Diana says, ask them in the stream, ask them in letters, ask them on social media. We've spoken about the the potential way that they might collect the story in the future. And, uh, and I think, you know, if they were to just do what they've done before, um, that wouldn't be very exciting. People have already got a lot of those collections. They're out of prints, you know, but but it's it's um, a smaller you know, set of the market who don't have those things. So if they were to go do something different, like a uh, a Walking Dead style fifty issue compendium, that would be something you know different and cool and a really great way of you know getting a lot of story and and catching up without having to buy you know lots of multiple books. I doubt they'll go. They'll go. Uh, keep on going with the with the hardcovers that IDW abandoned because if those were selling great guns and being really profitable, they'd have kept on going. So I have a blog post in me that it, it's going to be very hard to write, which I've been thinking about off and on for several years. Uh, I hope a new publisher can send some love toward uh, reproduction because I like the way the first 50 issues of the Marvel run look when they're reprinted. And I don't like the way issues 51 and up and special missions look because of the assets that were available to IDW and the like color studios that it was uh, using. And it's, it costs more money and it requires more Photoshop care and maybe like asking collectors to scan pages in their collections and send in like tiffs of 11 by 17 art but you know if you if you pick up the uh the serpentor hardcover that came out recently and you turn the page from issue 50 to 51 it's like you can just immediately see all the lines get crunchy and anyways that's so I, I i have a big blog post in me that i <laughs> i may try to write which is which has some examples and i w- i wouldn't even know. mind if they just re scans the original issues without cleaning them up too much because then you, you know, and and you get on the paper in the scans that original slight yellowing and the paper texture and all of the imperfections that you had which is how the colors were created you know to 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 be produced uh, on on that basis and the the sort of the vibrancy of the absolute crisp white paper and the really really bold bright colors in the in the modern editions um i I know a lot of people find them unsympathetic uh brian when you are you doing your rereads do what's your preference do you go back to the original slightly you know newsprinty yellowing paper or or do you would you would your preference be to go to a more modern bright edition well, so far in the, the rereads that I've been doing, I haven't hit that wall yet of getting past issue 50. I think I'm about at 40 right now. So I'll have decisions to make once I get there of how to do that. But um, so my preference um, would be to have new modern paper, but corrected colors like Tim was talking about, uh, more care put into them. So the artwork looks the way it's supposed to. This this will be like three paragraphs if I ever write this blog post. But if you're wondering, one of the details that I'm talking about is contrast. If you print 100% yellow in the 80s on dull absorbent newsprint, the relative brightness, the contrast between the bright yellow and the bright of the paper, which is to say they're not very bright, that is not a lot of contrast. If you put 100% yellow in modern printing on glossy bright white paper, the difference between the yellow and the white is is high and also a lot a ton of light is reflecting off of 
the paper from your light bulbs and and the sun. And there are arguments to be made about like you make it look as good as it can, you make it look like it used to, you make it look like as good as it could have back then. Uh, there are there are philosophical artistic uh, arguments, um, but uh, if nothing else, um, the the black line the uh, needs needs more care. We we had a couple of comments sort of that are sort of intersecting ideas. One of them was from from Josh saying that he wants stories pre Marvel issue one, and you were talking about maybe you know GI Joe declassified type stories, even though you weren't one hundred percent satisfied by that original series. I mentioned that in issue 225, which was a flashback to Duke's wife, Claire, being uh, having this attempted rescue, that was this proto-Joe team that, that went to go and rescue her, which uh, seemed exp- it seemed interesting and ripe for exploring. One of those sort of seeds that sometimes Larry uh, will plant that may you know bear fruit in future, <laughs> in future issues or not. Given that was 225 and we're now at 300, it has been a long delay, but it's something that that I think would be fun to explore. And the sort of slightly intersecting idea is is that we've had a couple of guys in the, the chat there, Writer's Quest for Glory, saying, I'd like to see stories focused on the late 80s figures that had no time in tunes. And uh, Pendragon... Uh, design and toys there uh, saying that his opinion has been to keep ARA firmly set in the 80s. The 80s have en- endless potential and things like Stranger Things have revealed the staying power. So I guess G.I. Joe as a period piece, question mark? I think my big concern, and Jason has talked about it a couple of different times, is how do we bring new readers into this book? And I'm not sure if we just stick it in the 80s, if that's going to bring any new eyes onto the book. Also, there, you know, it's it's like The Simpsons, you know, like 20 seasons in, they have cell phone, they have cell phones and then smartphones, but they're still the same age. So it's definitely 2023 in G.I. Joe because of, you know, iPads and and drones, but they still refer to flashback. There's still flashbacks to Vietnam. I think if if G.I. Joe were to be have a discrete ending, I think you could sort of lock it in a time. Like, I think if there was to, my actual, my actual argument for a, a new live action movie would be to set it in 1982, right? You like solve a lot of problems, you know? It's like the, the Transformers live action movie reset with the Bumblebee movie, set it in the 80s, right? It's like, we're not going to worry. Um, and like, most people don't know that like there's been a G.I. Joe comic running the last 12 years. And so to them, it is the 80s. And I think a lot of people sort of who follow comics sort of don't realize that G.I. Joe went past 1989 into the 90s and ended in 94. So I think I think that argument for keeping it in the 80s, I think some version of that uh, does make sense. But yes, to Brian's point, that also um, bumps up against bringing in new readers and making it feel modern or contemporary. So I, I think the I think the, um, the sort of compromise is what Hama has done, which is it's all these characters, they haven't really aged. It's now, but we're not gonna worry about how many years it's been. He quit saying Vietnam and he starts saying East, uh, East Asia, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, like, exactly. yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. I think I think from a miniseries perspective, just having a locked in the eighties would be great. Mm-hmm. Or when you talk about a proto Joe, having that um, that and and you and you made the uh, you made the uh, the real flocked hair joke at the beginning of this. Having that kind of story, both proto Joe and modern contemporary, taking Joe into more of an adventure team would be an amazing miniseries, a fun read. You know, not not necessarily straight Ben tinning it, but certainly, you know, the roots would be Adventure Team, right? If if Joe Colton is the original Joe, he lived through he was military, he became the Adventure Team. Hawk and Duke would be old enough to have been with him on adventures outside of Korea and Vietnam for both of them. You could really build something with that and it would be fun. And then you take it into the proto where I mean, hell, half the ninja staff would be a great adventure team. Uh, <laughs> so I, I like this idea. I can imagine Hama's not interested in doing oh, 70s Hasbro toys. And the the revolution era IDW comics did that, where they made a link between original Joe adventure team into the real American hero characters, even if not the Hamaverse. And I think... For every page you spend on other Joes besides Joe Colton, who are like pre-Joes, that's one less page for Snowstorm and Big Boa and 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 uh, the Astro Vipers and the Hydro Vipers. But we're also talking about miniseries, not yeah, that's Larry true. Hama, because Larry made the connection with Joe Colton and then left it. Yes, or and Jane, right? right. So we have GI Nurse and we have unnamed GI Joe that lasted for thirteen years. He's done that. He did that connection. He did it in what issue 84, 85. And then he's done. He made the connection. We're good. But miniseries and having in grabbing some new, some new writers, some young writers, men and women who are in the trenches today writing really fun adventure things, doing an uncomfortable for us take on G.I. Joe that is very adventure, could be that that link to new readership. I also wonder if, you know, not being a part of Marvel or DC hurts in terms of eyeballs. What do you, what do you mean? Oh, oh. If, I mean, if just new- having it as part of the big two would certainly put more eyes on it. I mean, IDW certainly a big company, but I don't know. I just, I, I love Larry. I love Larry's vision. I love his path. Larry, I love that... Larry has a stinker issue and then two issues later, it's the best he's ever written and who gives a shit because he's writing the next one, you know, and we're armchairing it, but having all these other things and, and you're right. Can it sustain all the sales? If it could, would IDW have done more, but I'm always going to be the guy buying. So I guess it's easy for me to say, do more. We've, we've lingered a lot on the, the thought of what we would want Larry's book to, to be like, what's, a second book running alongside that might might uh, look like or might we might want to be but if there was to be an entirely separate book what do you what do you think uh what do you think you would want that to be what would be your ideal non uh ara book brian do you have any thoughts um i don't i really like the beginning of some of the different stories that idw was doing out of the ara continuity i just think so many of them were cut short or felt rushed at the end to like 
rushed and now it's not as good. So now we're going to cut it short. Um, but I think some of those had really good starting points. I mean, anything like that, the, the, the world on fire stuff in particular. World, world on fire. Are you also referring to when the Chuck Dixon series started, when Cobra started, when, when origins? Yeah. That early Chuck Dixon stuff I think was very promising and definitely felt like something that I wanted to read alongside of Larry's book. And then it kind of got a little convoluted when you started crossing over with the other properties mm -hmm. and things, but um, all those, I mean, well, most of those I thought were really cool and fun ideas. So I'm, I'm open to reading anything that's put out there. I just, I don't know. I don't have any particular ideas on original ideas I want, but I'm open to reading what other people create. <laughs> I might be, uh, I think I might think one, I think I might say one thing and do the other because <laughs> as an analogy, uh, the IDW Transformers run that starts in uh, 2006 and gets kind of relaunched in, um, I think it's 2012, excuse me, the when when the ongoing written by uh, Mike Costa splits into Robots in Disguise and More Than Meets the Eye written by Barber and um, Roberts. From then, for the next several years, that continuity is sublime. And when it ends with Unicron, I thought, this is a joke, but I thought, well, I never need to read a Transformer story ever again, <laughs> because that was, that six-year cycle was the best Transformer story I've ever experienced. And there were no Transformers comics for a couple months. And I thought, good, IDW, take some time off, let, let us all. And then three months later, they're like, we've got a new series and we've got a new writer. And I was being this grumpy fan, like, I haven't heard of this writer. I don't know if this writer deserves to write Transformers. Like, no, I'm not an editor. I'm not Hasbro. That's not my call. And, you know, someone at IDW and someone at Hasbro had this writer in mind and this writer had a pitch and this, this is Brian Ruckley and wrote a bunch of Transformers comics for the next uh, two or three years. And at the beginning, I, I just couldn't bring myself to read them. It was It was too soon. It's like, no, these look good. But unless they're like amazing or somehow the same creatives, I, I still need some time uh, to reset. And so here I am saying to everyone, you got to buy all the G.I. Joe comics or we're going to lose it. So if something, you know, like when the Paul Allure book started, I thought, I thought I will buy this and that looks interesting. I'm not sure how into it I am emotionally and I've come back to it later. So I don't have a good answer for what I want sort of the other G.I. Joe to be sort of how different or how experimental or how sort of if you squint, it could still be in the Hama universe. Uh, but I'll go back to our previous discussion of miniseries by, I don't want to say like top creators, because that that means that's like sales or popularity. I mean, like uh, singular visions, even if it's a team who have a really interesting G.I. Joe story to tell that can be off to the side or kind of crazy and jason your turn it's it's very self-centered because it's already the story i i play <laughs> it's a story about jason joe <laughs> he's the hero of an elite sorry uh yeah gi alexander gi jason but i i love this idea of keeping it a little bit gi joe seriousness adding in that little cobra adding in that saturday morning so generally for me, Roblox and rock and roll are the buddy cop where Chuckles gets them into problems. And I would love to see that 
sort of miniseries where it's just, it's your two big guys and the shit starter chuckles. And they just, it, it, so you can keep it funny, but you still have that seriousness of these are your heavy weapons guys. They mow down rooms of people and you're, you know, you, you have that special mission sort of feel with, with chuckles. You have the silliness, this and the seriousness all mixed together. It's very adventurous, and I would love that as a as an adventure story in the GI Joe world. Does it have to fit into Larry's? Don't care. Could it fit into Paul's or anyone else's? Don't care. Just fun, a little humor, a little very real, and and run and gun. And it's a good palate cleanser as well for me because it would I can go back to whatever, and um, and I've had a little bit of fun. I think one of the things that we've talked about multiple times is miniseries. I, I really think that's a winning formula, like have the, a miniseries, but if it could be announced in, early on, like this is going to be 10 issues or this is going to be eight issues, like let us know, okay, this is the beginning, this is an end. I'll get into that. Not like, oh, that was the last issue. <laughs> and let the writer know. <laughs> Five trades. That's, that's a perfect... <laughs> I was thinking about the, um, there was a Ninja Turtles uh, anniversary special that IDW published, I want to say three years ago. And I think it was square bound. I think it was 48 or 64 pages. And it had one very short story from every continuity from the original Mirage volume one and volume two uh, continuity from the Archie continuity from the Image Comics, Eric Larson, Volume 4 continuity, which then got wrapped up later uh, at IDW, which was sort of a miracle. And uh, from the current IDW continuity, the, the Tom Waltz uh, continuity. And a lot of writers can't necessarily pull off like a super exciting or satisfying story in eight pages. And that's probably what you get in this kind of special. But I loved the fact that this said to all of the fans we're still thinking of you right because they get a letter every so every month or so it looks uh in the normal letters page it's like can you do anything with the archie continuity it's like no we don't you know we don't want to um that's the the diplomat the, the diplomatic answer is uh no plans at this time and uh no plans right it's like you read Mar old marvel comics like no plans at this time but you never know right and you know, Jason, you, I always forget Sigma six even exists. And mm -hmm. I don't know that Paul Allure has like an eight or 10 page story he wants to tell in the world on fire universe. Well, he did with infestation, right? And that weird, like three eyed Cobra commander. Uh, oh, did he write the two issues, the two issues of infestation? Well, I don't know if it's two. He wrote a short story that was very goofy and like Cobra commander had like half a snake face that, World on Fire was not his first G.I. Joe. Right. And it is way outside of the bounds of G.I. Like it is it is coloring well outside the lines of G.I. Joe. I get the sense that Paul Allure is one of those artists who, if you if you ask him to write something, he'll find a way of writing to that brief of, you know, okay, you've got eight pages, give me eight pages, I'll make eight pages work. Since we're missing the anniversary, I feel like this past year would have been the perfect time to do a double size special you know, and you get one of the people who wrote the Sigma Six cartoon, or the Devil's Due person who wrote the Sigma Six cartoon, a uh, comic book. I love that. I love that whole concept. And you get one of the Devil's Due guys to write an eight-page story, and 
this is a big swing because such a book would be, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars. And it's hard to do variant covers on a big thing like that. And I don't expect a new publisher to do this early on, but there's some goodwill there. With you know, with turtles, it's easier because the the cast is smaller. You know, like after a couple of years, they just kept making the same four turtles uh toys. But G.I. Joe is in this position now where it does have all these different continuities and sort of kinds of fans. And, you know, I don't think Sigma Six as a comic needs to be a miniseries. I don't think that's something that we need to go back to. But I, I not knowing the sales of Saturday Morning Adventures, man, I can't imagine that some kind of return to that, a special, a graphic novel, a miniseries. It's like most people think that's what G.I. Joe is. Right. It's like you just walk up to someone and you like sing half the jingle or you say, and now I know, and they like finish the line for you. I think you've been been sort of walking into this already a little bit. So so the thing that I think I would really like to see, and I, I really like what Brian said actually, that you know, I don't necessarily know what I want. Make some really brilliant comics and and I'll read those and hopefully they're great. You know, uh if you were to ask me at the beginning of the IDW era what do you want IDW to publish? I wouldn't have said, I want you to give me a book called Cobra and it's written by this guy that I've not already heard of and drawn by this guy that I don't actually know about. And it's set in Cobra. Um, it, it's not necessarily the the idea always. It's, it's you know, it's it's the execution as, as well. So so I, I'm not going to say, give me this idea, this combination of characters, this event. Get some great creators, ha- let them have at it. And hopefully we'll, we'll, have, um, we'll have a great a comic at, at the end of it. I would love to hear some of the pitches from Diana since she has the ear of Larry. <laughs> Diana says, I don't pitch comics, but sometimes my ideas have snuck in. Excellent. So the the idea that I, I had was was like a, a Legends of the Dark Knight style book with rotating creators, maybe even a bit of an anthology. So you've got maybe one or two stories, one, two, three stories happening um, simultaneously. Uh, and get some top tier creators in to get give them their chance to do do a GI Joe story. So if they want to do a one and done, if they want to do a short story, if they you know only got a chance to do a pin up, you know let them let them have a play. We can look back. We can have, let you know bring in some some of the Devil's Due people. Let them play in the Joe GI Joe sandpit again. Kirkman could dust off his GI Joe on the Moon story that maybe wouldn't fit anywhere else, but as a little fun thing, as a, in a in an anthology, maybe it maybe it would. Um, Brandon Jer was back doing uh, Snake Eyes Atomic Arcade video game. You know, let let him have a, uh, another Snake Eyes uh, comic in in an anthology, and then you know sometimes it will work, sometimes it won't, but that's okay. There'll be there'll be something else from uh, another creative team next issue, next story. That's my grand vision for, for something that I'd quite like to, to see. Maybe this is part of what Diana was nudging us about communicating with Hasbro. And Hasbro did a great job with comic books. There was a span of, it feels like eight years from, I don't know, toy people can correct me, but it feels like it was uh, 2008 to 2014 where there were so many Star Wars figures and Transformers and G.I. Joes that came with a comic book, uh, toys. And it wasn't always clear to me if the comic book, I, I guess Mar- uh, Marvel Legends was doing this too, right? And it wasn't always clear to me from the comic book what issue it was, because sometimes it was 
I think the cover of that issue being reprinted, or maybe it was a different cover that had sort of that character that you were buying the toy of. But, you know, right now there is no movie and there is no TV show. You know, it's like, we're not Transformers. We're not getting that stuff. And, you know, the people at Hasbro are concentrating on making toys and the people at New Publisher are concentrating on making comics. And, you know, the people making the comics may not feel like they want to also take on the job of somehow advertising toys. But I do think the people at Hasbro, if not the toy team, then the brand team, and that might be one and the same, have such an opportunity and dare I say an obligation to get the word out about these comics. You know, the classified line was this surprise hit and it's continued and it's gotten bigger. And, you know, printing and fitting a comic in with a toy is this whole additional packaging and like publication challenge. And we we hear from Michael Kelly that in the case of the Nerf exclusive issue 300 G.I. Joe variant cover, Hasbro published that, not IDW. Or would have um, done. We, we don't know the status of the, uh, the product oh. because it's been been put it's been cancelled for the moment all of the orders have oh. been cancelled so that comic may not happen but that was the intent okay that they would pub uh, they would publish it themselves so they could you know work with the logistics to actually package it with um with the nerf gun thank you for correcting me i was not following that toy development um but you know this this might be too simple but if like you know half the people buying classified figures open them and half of them would read a cool thing that comes with that toy. Maybe half of them would then buy another cool thing to read about GI Joe on their own at their local comic shop or you know from an online uh, vendor. And whether it is a new comic just for that toy, whether it's an old issue that's just a cool issue, whether it's sort of the best issue from the last 10 years that somehow fits that toy, you know, I, I want I want the 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 brand, the partners, the fans to sort of reinvigorate and be in re, be reinvigorated that it is more than one thing. And that that sort of that crossover, that equation of toys plus comics together, it feels like something that's almost been entirely missing from the IDW era. And some of the some of the most fun things from from Larry's original run was him responding to the demands of put in this toy let you know let's put in serpentor let's put in tomax and zamot and those stories would never have happened without that sort of external kind of input of respond to, to this and and i don't know the best way of doing it but having some connect some more connection between the uh the classified toys and and the comics i think yeah is is just something that's missing a bit at the moment this wouldn't sell any more HasLab Sky Strikers, I don't think. I, I, it's the, the pre-order is and that's it, right? You can't still order it. But if in issue 301, a Sky Striker takes off and there's like conspicuously Scarlet in that, that pilot outfit and the other <laughs> ground crew or whatever, like- And she starts complaining, you know, I gotta... don't have a handle on my crossbow. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if someone at Hasbro is saying to someone making this comic, you got to include this fans would notice people buying issue 301 would notice. And to Mark's point about Hama having this external stimuli, it's not, it's not a perfect analogy, but I think about the George Lucas making a star Wars trilogy with 
too many limitations. And the George Lucas, a generation later, making a Star Wars trilogy with no limitations and the difference in those movies. And if you say to a Larry Hama, like, here's this weird toy, you have to use this. <laughs> uh, right. Also, uh, Diana points out something that we keep forgetting because it's it's like so obvious. Where Where is the Don Marino action figure? I guess we need to. Uh, are people, you, uh, Mark, Brian, Jason, are people in the Hasbro streams? Are they saying, like, where's the Dawn figure? Where's the Dawn figure? I wish they were. No, they're not going to. Well, I bring it up every so and again. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, we got an announcement that mm-hmm. Helix is coming come to the classified line eventually. So I don't see why Dawn can't be shortly thereafter. I mean, Helix is what twenty years old now. So, <laughs> how much more do we have to wait for Dawn? I guess it, it feels uh, like we're. But I would love to see we're being nudged in the right direction with Helix. Sorry, Jason. Yeah, no, but I mean, and Helix has a four-inch uh, modern architecture figure already. I would love to see Helix in like the retro O-ring, and Dawn in a classified, a modern, and a retro. Like to me, GI Joe is is three scales, and let's run all three. But then again. Who's buying them other than, you know, those of us that are also doing this, <laughs> you know, um, uh, Transformers or Batman will do those packs where it's like sort of the legacy. It's like early Optimus mm-hmm. Prime, modern Optimus Prime or like three different Batmans, you know, have a have a, a, a three pack that's Snake Eyes and Throwdown and Dawn as these three different versions of uh, Snake Eyes and then include, I don't know what issue but use Nitho Diaz's variant cover for, is it 297 with the three of them as a like replacement cover for that? Yes. Yes. Let's get, let's get some toys. It, it needs to go both ways. I'd, I'd like Hasro to nudge a comics publisher and Hama to include certain toys and characters. Yeah. And I would like. Yeah. I was going to say if, if super seven can go so, as, so niche in the way that they do, you know, they're, they're making, uh, I don't know if this this is, even exists or not, but they're making the Boy George version of Snake Eyes, uh, and you know what other other uh, you know other random sort of uh, character very specific to the to the you know cartoon to to the comic that that you know is really super niche. And if they've got if they've got a commercial model that allows them to do that, you think surely Hasbro with their much wider reach, surely they they could give it to us if they if they you know is the difference there the is the difference there between super seven and hasbro one of them has wall street behind them demanding certain yeah. things and the other is an independent thing that can do what the hell they yeah. want <laughs> true i mean I, I agree with you i would love to see a super seven breadth at hasbro but i don't think their uh, market share would appreciate it i think what mark is inadvertently suggesting is that we'll get a super seven dawn in an animated style before we get we a classified might. We might. <laughs> dawn. probably true, and yes. not even because super seven would get to it in 10 years but because in a year they'll think let's throw in a curveball let's let's make a character cartoonish that hasn't been but that people keep asking for oh super seven did Quinn, who wasn't in the cartoons, mm. I'm still waiting for them to do Dr. Venom. Because that would be nice. That's probably on their five-year plan. <laughs> and once they do Dr. Venom, they can do Hotwire with just a new head, right? If if I I Google after you mentioned They Hot- could reuse the Blanca head. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. I, after you mentioned Hotwire, I, I quickly Googled him and I saw that there have been two versions of the figure and one is a white lab coat. Yeah. 
uh, Mark, have we have we exhausted this bullet point? Is there <laughs> another one you want to get to? Uh, Diana says, wait, one more bit. Why not do a has team and a new publisher Q&A with podcasters and YouTubers the way they did for the toys? Love it. Hopefully they can, yeah, make a big splash of that uh, announcement. Yeah, the, the a big push from Hasbro on the new comic, just uh, just as much as they would for any other new toy release. Yeah, I, it, it's probably worth reminding ourselves that the the thing that we keep comparing this to, right? G.I. Joe in the 80s, when the comic was pushing the toy and the show was pushing the toy and the comic and the toy was driving everything. And these companies were working in concert with each other. And this brand was the number one or number two brand, right? In terms of sales. What we have now is a different relationship where a publisher licenses G.I. Joe, not because it's the hot new thing, but because it is an established thing with a guaranteed audience and market share, maybe a very small one. You know, the way that like there's a comics publisher that's got the license for The Phantom. And there's a comics publisher that has the license for Zorro. And uh, I don't want G.I. Joe to be this sort of nostalgia thing, this nostalgia brand. But, you know, sort of G.I. Joe is not like the big deal in the discussion right now in toy sales and, and TV ratings. So, you know, to to hope for a comics publisher to say to Hasbro, like, how are we going to launch this and talk to everyone about it in sort of bigger ways as opposed to some established comics channel ways that a publisher would announce a new G.I. Joe comic and promote it might be asking more than is uh, reasonable. Mm. And your your comment there sort of triggered a thought as well that, that G, the G.I. Joe comic isn't necessarily per se an exact uh, uh, license to just print money. Wherever it lands, it will you know, do so because the the people behind it are going you know are going to have an enthusiasm and a passion and probably a nostalgia, a similar sort of age to us having grown up with the property and more than anything else going. G.I. Joe is cool. Transformers are cool. I would really love to uh, to have a hand in publishing them and creating them because it's it's a you know a property that I'm passionate about essentially. And and as much as anything else, I think that that must be a good thing that uh, you 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 want to have the people behind it for it to be a passion project because more than anything else that that's probably going to lead to to some great product or great comics. Product sounds a bit corporate doesn't it um <laughs> printed products printed story driven products let's uh, let's have a little bit of a, a sort of whiz around uh, the 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 square here if uh, if we we're going to get a new book and it was going to be separate to, well actually it doesn't even matter if it's separate to hammer or not the, th- the thought that i had about the chick chuck dixon verse as it started on, on his gi joe number one i think one of the things where it fell down a bit was that it was probably slightly too close to being a raw for it to fully be its own thing. It certainly was its own thing and had its own continuity. But at times, you know, squints, it's the, the pits in a, you know, in a desert under, you know, etc. There's there's a lot of very, very similar sort of DNA there. That side. Um, if you were to have a blank check and have a creative team who you think would be, you'd really be interested to see their take on the G.I. Joe book, who would you uh, bank up for? My one, and I've said this many times, would be the creative team behind one of my favourite books, 
if you haven't read it i do recommend it in fact one of my favorite books of uh, the last couple of decades uh, lazarus by uh, greg rucker uh, michael lark and uh, i think in, t- in terms of the look and the feel of a- an interesting gi joe take i could see them doing some very interesting things and lark has done one or two covers Things. for idw yes uh who who wants to to go with their hot take on who if there's a particular creative team that they'd uh, be interested in seeing on i mean if we're just doing like dream teams i would love to see like uh brubaker and phillips do um a story maybe like just a few joes on some kind of little mission i think they could do some phenomenal stuff that's brubaker and phillips behind the likes of criminal and uh and fatal and kill or be killed and and and, reckless. and, and yeah <laughs> they've done a lot and and they they fit the style rather well with all of those titles as well um jason oh oh shit i'm i'm spacing on names all of a sudden i think a fun take would be bon and hurt the guys who did six gun it would certainly lean heavily into the sci-fi side of it since Bun is such a horror uh, fanatic and, and Hertz art style is very whimsical. Um, and then, but, 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 but Hurt can also do grounded. Like he, Oh, Hurt can do fantasy. He can do grounded. Yeah. Hurt is, Hurt is incredible. Um, what was the Steve Gerber? I love what was work. the Steve Gerber book he did? A uh, hard time. Right about the kid in prison. Yeah, and then I'm gonna have to look his name up because I'm forgetting it all of a sudden. He, Shanghai Red. Um, he wrote the one about uh, Mount Everest. Uh, uh, Chris Sel- uh, Sebla, Sebla, Sebla. I'm probably mispronouncing. Uh, Chris, Sebe- Chris, uh, Christopher Sebella. Yes, Christopher Sebella. Him as the writer. Uh, I love the way he writes and his his sort of grounded approach. I think, and he's also he has a wild brain, um, so I think it'd be a lot of fun as well. And I think Diana just threw up a uh, a, a recommendation yeah. while I was stumbling over a, over a human's name, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Wow, saga team, talk about going Absolutely. straight for the top. <laughs> sure. Or- Brian K. Vaughan and uh, Cliff Chang. And why not? Cliff Chang on, on Paper Girls. Um, I like all of these fan votes. I feel a little self-conscious, not to not to duck out of the question. I feel a little self-conscious saying specific names because I feel like if I know someone who knows them, that's <laughs> like slightly putting them on the spot. So what I will say is I like all of your answers and I have thought... I have imagined G.I. Joe pages connected to your uh, answers. And it's, 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 it's kind of a joke, but I have this line that I say to, to my manager at my shop every week or two when I have read a recent comic that I think is really handsome. If someone draws really well and it can be kind of messy and like evocative, uh, sort of more in the, you know, Bill Sienkiewicz, uh, mode. It can be uh, more uh, grounded, like old school G.I. Joe. It can be sort of stylized and hot and slick, like some of the X-Men books. And this also applies to color artists. 
on new Marvel books, new Boom books, new Image books. Uh, a thing that I sometimes will say, I'll point to a comic and I'll say to my manager, I just read this. And I'll say, uh, oh, is it good? And I'll say, this guy should draw G.I. Joe. <laughs> or I'll say, this guy should color G.I. Joe. And my manager will chuckle because most of the time it's someone who you think is sort of miscast for G.I. Joe, or they're doing a creator-owned book at Image, uh, or they're doing sort of a high profile like X-Men related miniseries and they like probably don't want to take a pay cut and work on a licensed book, which can be a pain. So he chuckles. Um, but I say this a lot. So I have a long list of people who <laughs> are sort of pre-approved because they are not just solid, but exciting. And exciting can mean a lot of different things. And and some of them are more in a classic Marvel 80s mold and some of them are not at all. But I will name one artist who I, I, I don't feel embarrassed to sort of say, why didn't this guy draw G.I. Joe? Because he has, and that is Dave Johnson. Dave Johnson does not do interiors anymore. The last time he did, I think was like 2003 when he drew half of Superman Red Sun and then didn't draw the other half. And someone else very good drew the other half. So that's a nice, that's a nice book you should buy. Uh, Dave Johnson is a cover artist, but he's had a couple connections to G.I. Joe, which I find uh, noteworthy. Mark, even this week on the Talking Joe Facebook page, has posted some convention sketches and commissions that Dave Johnson has drawn in the last like five years. Uh, Dave Johnson has done a few covers for IDW and um, Pendragon Designs and Toys says Dave Johnson's Super Patriot miniseries from the 90s. Uh, those issues were amazing. I I have been told that those first covers that Dave Johnson did, the earliest IDW covers that Dave Johnson did, uh, there's one of Destro, there's one of Duke and Scarlet, right? Into someone like Upside Down, I can't remember. Uh, someone told me that Johnson had done those earlier for Hasbro. They were not for covers for IDW uh, and that then they got used. I don't know if that's true, but... Dave Johnson did a variant cover, uh, connecting variant cover for the final issues of the IDW run. And Dave Johnson applied for the job of lead character designer on G.I. Joe Renegades. And uh, some people out there own some of those pencil drawings. And I don't know what his like favorite stuff is. Seems like he likes Batman, keeps going back to Batman, right? It's gone back to like Punisher or Nick Fury. I think he's a professional who will like do a good drawing if an editor gives him a good job to do. But something tells me that this guy is either some kind of G.I. Joe fan or is interested in the designs of G.I. Joe because they're such great designs. And uh, a couple of times recently I've thought, okay, new publisher is probably going to get all new artists who are not connected to G.I. Joe, but they should get Dave Johnson as cover artist. Yeah, there was a... Uh... I like it. There was a question. I suggested Greg Rucker as the uh, as a writer potentially, and he's he's probably too interested in doing his um his own creator own stuff to kind of step into this world these days. But uh, you never know uh, if if he's got an affection for the property and you know is rewarded for it. Um, uh, Greg Rucker would do interesting Joe book Joe books. Maybe he already did. Uh, he's not done any GA Joe, but uh, pop fact, uh, he was suggested in that wizard world in that wizard article back before the devil's due with that uh, amazing J Scott Campbell uh, pinup that was commissioned for the article where they said, let's get some eighties books back 
and then this was the precursor to to sort of Devil's Due actually starting their run. Uh, and they suggested the the writer of G.I. Joe as being uh, Greg Rucker in that article. Um, so so that probably would have been the time to try and snap him up back a little bit earlier in his career. There are also Greg Rucker wrote uh, Whiteout and Whiteout Melt, which was later republished as like Total Whiteout together. And if you squint, that's a G.I. Joe special missions story. It's a great story. Uh, and Steve Lieber, who drew that, had drawn an issue of G.I. Joe, his some of his earliest comics work, right? He drew half of like one of the issues with Megatron and one of the aerial bots, right? So there are there are these there are these uh connections. Mm. Artists, I think it's easier to sort of like fan cast or uh, fantasize. Writers, I think it's harder because Hama has such a point of view. And Hama has done many things, right? He has drawn comics, he has lettered comics, he has edited comics. And I don't think a different writer for G.I. Joe, whether it's the Hamaverse or not, needs to have also done these things. But so much of Hama's G.I. Joe-verse is informed by uh, his breadth of reading and consuming of entertainment and travel and like meeting people. So G.I. Joe is this very particular thing. And we, I think we sometimes take for granted. I know I do when I read a, like a new IDW issue and it's like, well, that was good or that was okay. And I, it's like, oh, this guy's lived a very interesting life. I, excuse me, present tense. This guy lives a very interesting life. But, you know, if you, you know, like all it takes is some other person with a great idea and they might be like 20 and you know, sort of not have lived much of a life, but they've got some great ideas and they're really hungry. Uh, I will say just in terms of one sort of fan thing, I don't know that there's any reason why, why Brian Bolland would ever draw a GI Joe cover, but I've always wondered, and I can sort of imagine it. I can, you know, it's like, I sort of imagine Duke with, with a white background and cause there's such a like technical perfection to his faces and clothing. Uh, and, and, uh, I don't know that he's interested. I don't know that he gives G.I. Joe any thought. I don't know that any publisher could match his page rate. I think as he's gotten older, he's doing sort of fewer covers or they're sort of only when he wants to or more special or whatever. He's doing a lot of like DC work, right? But I sometimes think, what would a, what, what a cover by that guy would look like? Uh, and if you squint, like his, his covers for uh, that Vertigo miniseries, Adventures, Adventures of the Rifle Brigade, right? It's like he's done and he did a Joe Q, uh, he did a, a Sergeant Rock cover years ago for a Sergeant Rock special. It's like, if you turn your head sideways and squint, you can sort of imagine it. Yeah, I think he's potentially one of those artists that if you catch him at the right moment, ask him the right way, and he's just open to the idea, then then you you know, you might be lucky. But um, yeah, he, he sort of uh, does definitely pick and choose. Uh, sort of a, a Mark, are you telling me that, are you telling me that I made a mistake when I went to that convention and he was there and he wasn't drawing and there was no line and I didn't try and get a convention sketch from him? I just assumed it would take hours or that it was cost prohibitive. And I didn't even bring it up because why would this guy draw G.I. Joe? <laughs> if you'd have got him at the right time, I think he wouldn't, have, I think he probably wouldn't have appreciated being on the spot to draw something he didn't know in a, a convention environment. You might have been lucky with a Batman or a Joker or something if under those circumstances. But uh, you never know. So uh, just as a complete sort of contrast to some of the stuff we've been talking about, about what we would want to see, Diana put out this the idea of uh, a, a book that Hasbro or the new publisher might want to explore, which is 
uh, in my honest opinion, if they wanted to comic to catch middle schoolers, they should do a comic based on the young adult books. Uh, so there's one out, one announced, um, which is kind of its own, you know, own thing, even though it's taking the, the classified name in, 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 the, in the title. Uh, middle school readers tend these days to read books with teens that they can relate to in trade paperback format and maybe even maybe even sort of a manga kind of format as well and that might not be that might not be the book that we would want to read but it might be the one that would catch on with that particular audience and as a gi joe fan i would love to see that <laughs> as a gi joe fan i might not like that but not everything has to be for me sometimes you know sometimes things can be for for other people's uh, Diana, that's a great idea. And there are many publishers that have been pushed, comics publishers that have been pushing into the young adult graphic novel space. Uh, I, I keep sort of forgetting this, but Phil Noto has drawn the covers for these G.I. Joe classified young adult novels. First one. Just the first one, not the same? First one was Phil Noto and I think Stephanie Hans in a very similar style for the second one. Oh, thank you. Okay. Uh, and And... And Noto has a connection to G.I. Joe, having uh, done a couple covers for Devil's Do and that Scarlet uh, issue. Yeah. There's some, some other suggestions being thrown out there. So let's let's touch on them. These are great. All great suggestions. George Jimenez would be an awesome G.I. Joe artist. I think that's Jorge Jimenez. Jorge. Okay. And uh, here we uh, that's, that's who's currently drawing Batman and doing a, a miniseries for Mark Millar. And uh, uh, here we go, Pendragon Design and Toys, uh, the man of uh, many AKAs, I think. Uh, I also, I always want my uh, Joe covers to be illustrated and painted by Travis Charre, I think is how. Charre. Thank you, Sam. Um, I tried. Uh, he's been doing some graphic novels for uh, for for humanoids in the Hodorowski uh, universe, but did come back and has done a couple like Marvel and DC covers recently. It's, it seems he's, he's getting a bit more active on um, Twitter and whatnot. And Brian Hitch would do a killer cover. That would be interesting. They should reach out to him because again, yeah, you're going to say it. <laughs> uh, Brian Hitch drew some action force. Indeed, it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, be his can first. You, can you help us? Can you help us out? What what issues of Action Force or um, European missions? So so this is the Action Force weekly. 50 issue series by marvel uk and it was basically the the comic that he got his big break on he was 18 ish pro probably younger still drawing on his mum's um you know dining room table i think and uh inking over mike collins and also doing some of his own work he worked on um a prelude and postscript to the silent interlude story and he did a few covers as well um, and in quite a different style, you know, as as very, very early in his career, quite a different st st style to to what you'd recognize from him uh, now. So it would be interesting to see him do it just in terms of him being an incredible artist. But also that that arc of him starting out his career with 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 G.I. Joe, you know, seeing something from him all of these years later would be fascinating. I think it might be possible because when Titan was reprinting marvel's transformers in the early 2000s six issues at a time the soft covers had new andrew wildman artwork and the hard covers each one had a different cover artist and hitch did one of the transformers 
uh, covers. It's got Galvatron and I guess it's Buster, Buster Witwicky. And that was sort of a bookend because he had done some Transformers early on, right? At Marvel UK uh, in like 87 or so. And so here he was in 2002 or so coming back to do a single image. And it's great. Perfect. So we said at the at the header of this one, or maybe that was before we started, that we're probably going to keep it quick and light and breezy, and uh, and we've it's been light and breezy perhaps, but but um, but we've we've still gone on a a little while. So so I guess was there any uh, any concluding thoughts before we uh, just want to wrap up? Uh, Brian, do you want to take the mic for for a minute because uh, we've we've been hogging it. No, I'm just uh, eager to see who the new publisher is and uh, kind of get a timetable of what we're looking at. I, w- I was kind of suspecting that maybe it was going to be new comic book day, but I think that's even kind of past at this point. You mean free free comic yes, book day? Sorry, free comic book day. Yeah, so that's that's May, but stores ordered their free comic book day comics a month ago, which means they were in catalogs like two months ago. So that one has we have past that when we would have known if it had been then. Brian, I have a question for you. Issue 301, do you think it's going to be 301 or a new number one? And do you think it's going to pick up right after the cliffhanger from 300? Um, wow, that's, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know. I, I suspect it's going to be issue 301. Now, whether it picks up right after, I think we talked about earlier, who knows with Larry, you know, it could skip forward and but there's so many cliffhangers in 300. Like it's more than it's five, I think four or five. So oh, that's you have to wrap up something there. Like you can't just ignore all of those and move forward. <laughs> yeah, the fir- the first page of 301 is the funeral of <laughs> Sir Pentor Khan, and the Joes are saying. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm excited to see what it is, but I I, I have no idea. It's 301, and we're down in the sewers, Lightfoot is uh, defusing a bomb <laughs> and there's no reference to anything <laughs> <laughs> occurred outside of that. Uh, you never know. I, th- I think we'll be hot on the heels personally. Uh, there's there's too much there in 300 to, to sort of to breezily go past it. Uh, Jason? I think if he's going to pick up anything, it'll be the C-130 because um, it's easy to just say, they got away. What was with them? I don't know. A device. And we can come back to that because, I mean, we talked about this together. Snake Eyes was felt like, to me, the point of the last handful of issues. So it'd be more, I don't know. I just see, I just see them resolving the C-130 and celebrating Snake Eyes and then jumping back into the story at a random point <laughs> to then swing back yeah, around to zombie bombs. Yeah, those the cliffhangers. I was just thinking about what fight in that's trying to do the mental math. We've got we've got the C one thirty about to clash crash. You've got a um a, a mutant zombie bomb that is about to be detonated. You've got the Joes jumping off the whale, about to kind of properly fully invade the compound and and get Serpental Khan. You've got Cobra Commander captive <laughs> by the Joes. You've got Sn- Snake A's and Scarlet. Uh, sort of reunited would you call it reunited i don't know it is what it is which which is a kind of conclusion but you want that to be followed up and and then there's probably more besides that i'm I'm not even remembering off the top of my head there's a lot to there's a lot to digest and follow up there yeah what i would love to see is just 
hard cut to the pit with um, Laura, you know, in front of the board, like breaking down how Cobra works today. They've got the the brainwave scanner with all three in it. And they're like, all right, we stole this from them. Laura's telling us how things work. We're going to decommission that. And then we can just jump into whatever story we want. But I just, I, I just, it feels like the C-130 is the important part. Okay, Jason, my, my wrap-up question for you. Three, 301, double-sized issue or triple-sized <laughs> issue? What do you think? I would love a full trade paperback-sized <laughs> issue of 301. Just get get it all in, right? Uh, like, um, this is like when Marvel's done these probably, this is like Marvel's done these 100-page issues, and then a month later they just yes. publish it as a graphic novel with like 15 additional pages. Correct. I would love that. But I'm... I'm I'm the wrong audience because I'm gonna buy it. I'm excited for it, you know. But from a from a new publisher standpoint, probably an issue and a half, oversized. It's the safer bet. Double sized is isn't just double money, right? So one and a half is probably the safer bet when you're when you're doing the launch. What what you just made me think of was that that obviously the rumor is that that this is gonna be skybound under under Robert Kirkman. When he launched uh, an amazing book called Firepower, he went in with uh, an issue zero, which wasn't just an issue zero. <laughs> it was a trade paperback. And the subtitle is Prelude. I'm down. Firepower. When you go to, you go to a comic book store, Firepower Volume 1 is Prelude. And it's, it's great. And, and um, this new publisher has been you know negotiating a little while, but the Devil's Due announcement was early 2022 so you'd think this new publisher has has had a very good idea that they're in you know in the running since 2020 you said devils do do you mean oh, sorry, IDW? sorry sorry idw hmm. so so um yeah yeah idw announced that they lost it sort of quite early in in 2022 so this new publisher must have known they're in the running you know 2021 just got it in the bag 2020 uh early 2022 so they've they've had the best part of a year to be getting on with something. If they wanted to uh, to do something, get a lot of uh, get a lot of pages in the bag, release something big. And we've we've been talking about you know that they've had a bit of space to to create a bit of a buffer, so that they can you know keep on releasing without. They could do something like this. I would love that. I think it's possible from a legal perspective that e- that in the calendar year that the old publisher still has the license, the new publisher doesn't actually start like paying for artists and writers. I think that's, I think that's very possible as much as I want the new publisher to have banked five issues already, or consider a quintuple sized premiere issue or the first month that just runs weekly. I also think there's uh, I think we underestimate for any new publisher, whether they have done licensed books or not, just how much, of a slow ramping up it is for them to start this specific back and forth relationship with Hasbro and with Hama. And if Hama has a research consultant, you know, editor, assistant editor, and then um, lining up artists, you know, that artist is going to have to do like some sort of tryout art and Hasbro is going to have to approve it after uh, the new publisher approves it. Uh, So, but yes, uh, five issues in the first five weeks, I'm ready for it. <laughs> does does Alexander have strong opinions about what he'd like to see in the new uh, book? 
What do you want to see in issue 301 from a new publisher? This is, this is the best question we've asked. Of the- I haven't read 300 yet, though. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see, I, I, you know, I know Skybound is, is the main um, rumor, but after in July, having like two days to just sit and BS with Michael Golden, um, because both of our tables were extraordinarily slow, which I think is really a crime if Michael Golden's table is slow. In him talking about different uh, comic book creators that loved G.I. Joe to the point that who has owned his issue of yearbook, all the original pages, and how it's gone from creator hand to creator hand to creator hand. And Kirkman was part of that conversation and just his enthusiasm about G.I. Joe, according to Michael Golden, I'm, I would love to see it. Just because it's that is what makes that's what made Devils do, regardless of its warts, it made it amazing, right? It was enthusiasm. That's what makes Larry's run. He's writing his friends, he's doing all these things, he's owned it for all this time. Paula Lore, his stuff had enthusiasm. I, I just I want that. So I'm excited if it would be Kirkman. If it's not Kirkman, I hope it's someone who has that same level of one of us. But without the hangups of, you know, it has to be X because I've loved G.I. Joe since 1982. Yeah. Enthusiasm without hangups. That's a good, um, that's a, a good ethos, I think. We are, we are pretty much at the, uh, at the end of, of this one. Um, and we've had uh, a lot of great comments sort of coming in all the way through. It's been, uh, sort of great, uh, to see. So, uh, you know, I've tried to to pop those in as we've been going along where they're where they're most relevant. We've not been able to sort of share everything, but a big shout out to all of you who have been watching as you go along. Shout out to Articulated Chad, finally catching a GI Joe live. It's rare for us to be live when we're not talking about sketches, isn't it? So um, it's it's an unusual one for us to to be doing this type of uh, show. Uh, big up to everybody who has been sending all of these comments through i don't want to i don't want to single out every anyone too much because uh then then i'll have forgotten someone but um but big thanks to to all of you for for watching live and uh, and getting involved um so uh as we wrap up let's let's everyone have a plug brian um where can people find you when you're not talking to us um on youtube um at a real american brian uh, also on Instagram, Real American Brian. I will put in the uh, I'll put in the uh, the link in the um, in the show notes as as well. I've not done that yet, but will do. And uh, Jason, uh, where can people uh, find you? And have you got any uh, anything to tantalize us with things that might be coming up um, in the uh, in your space? So we're at Order of Battle podcast. It's on Audio Boom. It's on all the podcast feeds. We have not made the jump to YouTube yet. Um, we're one of the few G.I. Joe podcasts that are still podcast only, evidently. Um, Which we uh, still can. <laughs> Alexander and I and Joel, uh, we talk about a lot of toys, um, but it tends to focus on G.I. Joe. And I don't know what we have coming up. Last year was a crazy year for us. And um, this year, I mean, we just did Winterfest. We're going to be at Toylana. We got Joe Fest coming up. If we can make Heroes Con work. And uh, hopefully we can convince 
Tim to come to a few of those. <laughs> and, um, you know, this is 2023. Next year is the 60th anniversary. So if you don't get over to the States this year, Mark, next year would be the year to come. <laughs> right. I didn't realize I've been collecting G.I. Joe that long. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> also, um, I have a question, answer to your question earlier. Um, Tinge Sky Strikers on a flag. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you want to see in issue 301 and really the reason i thought of that because because we just did yeah, it that's what you've got in your living room right now too many sky strikers on a flag excellent stuff tim where can people uh find you i've got a banner for that one video essays about tv and film at our YouTube page, Atomic Abe Productions, my comic book store, Brick and Mortar in Somerville, Massachusetts is Hub Comics. And I write about G.I. Joe at arealamericanbook.com. And uh, if you are new to Talking Joe, we've got a website, talkingjoe.co.uk. That has got some information all about the show and links to all of the various places that you can find us Oof. so uh i think that is us pretty much done so you can just all join us together in singing along if you so wish in saying that nobody beats talking joe an international podcast <laughs> there we go still tim it was just you singing <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we'll have Jim Shooter on a second time. We'll get him to do it. Yeah, excellent. Okay, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jason. And thank you, Alexander. <laughs> Catch you next time. Bye. Thank you, Mark.